episode 24. Do 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 do. Welcome to Small Biz Gone Viral, a podcast equivalent of your local dive bar. Cozy, real, anything but pretentious, and a bonus if you had a bad day, at least you know you're not alone. I'm Grant LeBeau, a small business owner of a coconut energy bar company called Rickaroons, and way more relevant to you, your host. My goal here is to give other small business owners a platform to share their story and give a little sneak peek behind the curtain into what it's really like struggling through a pandemic as a small business owner. And with that, let's get to our fun fact. Yay! Just kidding. Today's fun fact is the opposite of fun. It's more like a fun fact on opposite day. Just when you thought 2020 couldn't get any worse, it was just confirmed that for the first time in the U.S. and for the fifth time overall, a person was confirmed to have had COVID-19 a second time. Same human, different case of COVID. On to the facts and figures, which we do every episode as a way to provide some historical context into what's going on in the world around us. Currently, the world has 8 million active COVID-19 cases, with 2.6 million of those in the U.S. alone, which continues to hold the very uncoveted top spot in total cases and deaths. However, India is also sadly struggling to keep its numbers down and may soon overtake us in both categories. The number of new daily cases has risen slightly each of the last four weeks, but is generally hovering around 45,000. The daily death rate remains relatively constant in the mid-700s, which means here we are seven months in and still losing 5,000 people a week to COVID-19. Somewhat tangentially, the stock market had its best week in months, nearly completing a historic comeback. If you were like me, You might think, based on the fact that more people have filed for some type of unemployment during the pandemic than voted for our current president, that the stock market would be performing poorly. But you'd be wrong. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, a widely watched benchmark index, is actually only down 3% from its all-time high back at the very beginning of 2020, and is somehow up 50% from its low at the end of March. Things just, they don't, they don't seem that much better. But I guess maybe, maybe, that's why I own a small business and host a podcast about small businesses and don't host a podcast giving insights into what it's like owning, I don't know, Ford, Apple, Tesla. Two quick notes. Number one, if you know a small business owner whose business has been impacted by COVID-19, please share this podcast with them. They'll appreciate it, I promise. Number two, if you want a two-minute segment about what it's like being a small business owner, stick around or fast forward to the very end for a bonus segment with our guest. Speaking of which, my guest today is Kate Flynn, founder of Sun & Swell Foods, A graduate of Harvard Business School, Kate spent several years working as a consultant in the retail and consumer product space. Convenient. 
After switching to a natural lifestyle in 2016, she began making her own healthy snacks to keep her fueled for long days in the office. She soon realized her personal recipes could help other conscious eaters and decided to launch her own natural snack food company. Kate's mission is to make optimized nutrition more attainable for both herself and her consumers, and to do it in a way that's more sustainable for the planet. Kate, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, as you know, this show was designed as an audio shoulder for small business owners to cry on by relating to other small business owners who are having very shared experiences. And I'm really excited to have you on because I feel like you and I have such similar stories. You're basically the Rickaroons of Santa Barbara or maybe we're the sun and swell of San Diego. But uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm super excited to have you on because I feel like we just have like such similar experiences, not necessarily the good kind, but it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. So as always, uh, you know, we're, we're going to go really quickly into what led you into starting your own business and, uh, you know, why you were crazy enough to do that. I'll, I'll jump in. So, um, yeah, so just a really quick background on myself. I, I went to school at UC Santa Barbara, which is um, where I'm, I'm back now in Santa Barbara. I took a break in between living here. But um, so went to UCSB. I started my career actually in audit. I was an accountant for about three years. I went to business school and came out of business school as a management consultant um, focused on the kind of retail and consumer product space. And I did that for about four years and learned a lot, really great experience until like many management mm -hmm. consultants, I hit a point where I got completely burnt out and <laughs> was ready for the next thing. And did that have any, anything to do with the amount of hours you were working? It had a little bit to do with the amount of hours I was working, yes. <laughs> how, how do those hours yeah. compare to the hours you work now? It's, you know, it's funny because I feel like now I am, you know, my mind is working like 24 seven on the business. It's just different. It's like, maybe I'm not sitting at my computer for 16 hours a day. Maybe instead I'm, you know, talking to my husband, who's my business partner for, um, you know, three hours about something, you know? So it's, it's, it feels like everything is largely focused on the business these days. Right. There's, there's no, there are no unbillable hours. It's just every hour is a billable hour, especially when you're living with your business partner. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I feel like that is the that is the plight of every small business owner is that there are no there's no real downtime. And then that is just magnified when your business partner is your husband. Well, especially because we're both so excited about it. So it's like when we go out to dinner, I mean, pre-COVID when we'd go out to dinner because right. <laughs> we don't do as much of it anymore. Uh, luxury. But, you know, we'd, yes, exactly. We we literally have to tell, like we'd have to go in and be like, okay, no talking about work this dinner because we need to talk about something else. And then we'd, um, you know, end up talking about work. Now we just had a baby about a month ago. So now it's work and baby. Like those are two things that we talk about, but <laughs> basically the break from work is the baby these days <laughs> or maybe the other way. Yeah. <laughs> what a relaxing break that is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So you have this background in management consulting and 
you know, spoiler alert for those listeners out there who are thinking about starting a business, management consulting is almost certainly uh, more profitable, at least for the <laughs> majority of humans uh, who go on to start their own business. What was it that inspired you to leave all of that certainty in or that that paycheck certainty and go on and and start uh, start your own business? Yeah, so it's funny because I would say going, um, you know, before starting my own business, I was the, always the type of person who's like, I'm not meant to be an entrepreneur. I like stability. I like a steady paycheck. Um, my husband was totally the opposite. Like his dream was always to have his own company and to, you know, to get out of the corporate office was like what he, you know, his goal was, I was not mentally, I mentally wasn't there, um, several years ago, but basically what happened was I was, you know, burnt out from my job looking for the next thing. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. Um, but of course, at the time where I was kind of mentally landing on like time to move on, I also I, in parallel was starting to discover like, I would say like a white space in the market for something I felt like I needed that wasn't out mm -hmm. there. And um, it all stemmed from like a personal journey with food. I, and I think this is like, you know, probably a similar journey to a lot of people in like the food space, but um, I switched my diet. I started eating whole real food. It was like, it was totally life-changing for me in many ways. The craziest thing for me was I had asthma like my entire life that completely went away when I started eating a whole food diet. So I cut out like all the added sugars and preservatives and I cut out gluten and dairy and all these things. And all of a sudden these like problems I'd be deal dealing with my entire life just disappeared. And it was really eye-opening to me how much food impacts our bodies. And um, I started, you know, learning more about food and caring more about it and was determined to keep eating this way. And then would walk into the grocery store and flip over labels on all the like energy bars and all those things I used mm -hmm. to eat. And I was like, oh, wow. I like 75% of the ingredients on this like 50 ingredient long ingredient list are ones I am trying to avoid. <laughs> so like, what do I do here? And, um, you know, just, just reached this point where I was like, my option feels like to make my own snacks at home and I don't have time for that. And, um, just all of a sudden, like my, my desire to leave my old job was like aligning perfectly with like my desire to do this yeah. new thing. And, um, I, yeah. first of all, I just want to say, I'm really glad that this is a, uh, just an audio recording and not a video recording <laughs> because otherwise I feel like viewers would just get sick of me just like grinning like an idiot and just nodding vigorously <laughs> in agreement to everything you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did, we, did your, did your husband have any sort of background in food? No. So his background is in, um, sales, but really mainly like in tech. Okay. So when we, yeah. So when we like, when we decide, basically what happened was I quit my job as a management consultant. I was, we were living in San Francisco, like crazy, busy lifestyle up there. I quit my job and we were, I'm like, I'm quitting and we're moving to Santa Barbara. Like it was like the decisions kind of, they happened at the same mm -hmm. time. And so we moved to Santa Barbara. I, the idea for like Sun and Swell was brewing, but it wasn't like, I'm going to go do this thing now. It was like, Hey, I'm going to start doing this and like play. I think I was nervous to commit. I told you that like earlier, like I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I think I had like some 
disbelief that like I could start my own company or something like that. I don't know what it was, but for literally like probably a year, even though it was like a big part of my life, I would like pass it off as like a side, like a hobby, even though like we were like, I mean, we were getting in all these stores. It was like, it wasn't until we were like over 50 stores that I started being like, okay, like this is my thing. Like I kept, yeah. Like I kept kind of being like, oh, I'm trying this thing. It's like on the side and I'm also doing a couple other things. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I also think that it's so interesting that someone who like from your, from your CV, it seems like you're really risk adverse. Like, you know, yeah. it's not a lot, not a lot of like thrill seekers are going into auditing and then going to right. get their MBA and then going to like yeah. management consulting. Like th- those are like right. the most by the book ways of having like financial stability. Right. And then you decided to leave all of that, the the funny money of Silicon Valley and, you know, tech life in, in Santa Barbara with your, you know, with your husband's job. And you both took the plunge and went into starting Sun and Swell. Yeah, well, it's funny because we didn't actually, if I, if it sounds like we took this big risk, but looking back, like I feel like we did it in a risk averse way. So my husband actually kept his job. I was gonna ask you about that. He's yeah. Full, yeah, he's now full time with the business, but that we were about a year and a half in when he came over full time. Um, so my husband still had his job. We ha- were sitting on like a big savings and we were kind of like, that was like the savings that was going to go towards buying a house. And so we're like, well, let's just like not buy a house and we'll have this cushion to like figure it out. I was still, you know, doing consulting on the side. So I was still like freelance consulting. I was still, so I was still bringing in some money, like, even though like, you know, I was also working on this right. and I, um, and you know, so I, and, and we also, we did it like slow, like it wasn't like, Hey, we're going to raise a bunch of money and go to co-packer and launch this product. We're like, we're going to do it ourselves. Bootstrap. And like, we're going to rent commercial case, bootstrap it. And once we have this proof point, then we'll do the next thing. Once we get that proof point, then we'll do the next thing. And it's in, in hindsight, I think that was, I'm glad we did it that way. Like, I love that. I, I love the journey we've had along the way, but I'm like, I think that was the only way like I could take a plot. Like, I don't think I was ever going to be the person who's like, I'm going to like, you know, second mortgage. I mean, maybe now we're this deep. Maybe I, we, right. Maybe I would, I, when we have taken, like, oh, I'm, financial I'm right risk, there with you. Like that, I, the, the, way, but... the thing that gives me the, the most, uh, I don't know, like puckering is when I think, when I hear about people whose parents mortgage their houses for them, I'm like, oh man, Ooh, I don't, yeah. I don't think I believe in me enough for that. But uh, I want to move on to basically your 2019 and kind of set the table as always for the impacts of COVID on your business. So uh, how did, how did 2019 go? Yeah. So 2019 was a really amazing year for us. Um, I felt like, so we officially launched, like we launched our products and stores for the first time in 2017. Um, So 2019, we had been on the market for, you know, almost about two years I feel like we had, we had grown so much. We had learned a lot. We were just, 2019 was like the year we started hitting, like some, like started getting some really big accounts. So, um, and actually several of these launched in January of 2020, but some accounts we secured in, tw- in 2019 were like, um, we launched and we launched nationwide in Barry's bootcamp. We That's had, huge. Um, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, I didn't know about that. Totally. Yeah. 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 So that was awesome. We, um, we launched 
uh, in January of 2020, but of course figured this all out in 2019 was the, um, was anthropology nationwide. So that was like another really big account for us. We finally got Whole Foods, which um, we, you know, was a December ship date. So January 2020 launch for Whole Foods. And so was, basically was that a regional release was like, or was that a national release for okay. regional? Yeah. So yes, exactly. So pack. Yeah. Okay. So, so 2019 Santa was Barbara like, and South and then parts of Arizona and exactly little, and Nevada. little bit of Nevada and New Mexico. Yeah. Um, it does, yes, yeah. I think. Oh, gosh, I can't even. I think just Nevada, Arizona, and Southern okay. California. And I want to I want to say yeah. like sixty ish stores. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. A, about 50, a big deal. Yeah. yeah. So we had kind of up until, and we had we had had so many amazing wins um, over the years, but like the, these were our first like big kind of you know if you know some national accounts you know Whole Foods wasn't a national launch, but you know potentially eventually would build up to be an. Um, and so all of that was hap- another big thing that happened in 2019 was we launched compostable packaging on the market, um, which was like a really, um, we launched our snacks and compostable packaging. So we were just starting to get some like industry um, traction and recognition for that. So basically 2019 was like the end of 2019 and going into the be- beginning of 2020 was like, we're finally like, whoa, like 2020 is going to be our year. Like everything's lining up. Another crazy, oh, like 2020, so we also started landing. I know. Yeah, exactly. We also started landing a bunch of like big corporate accounts. Um, so that was like another, you know, a big part of our growth story and what our plans were going in 2020 was like these big corporate accounts. And, um, so yeah, it was all, when you say, I, I when you say like, big corporate accounts, do you mean like the Silicon oh, Valley campuses? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and we had some um, bigger ones in Southern California too, but yeah, set like selling our snacks into these campuses. And we, we, we've got like all the distributor relations set up and we, um, I feel like we took a big major step. We, we, I know we took this big major step in our growth in 2020, 2019, where it was like, we had to make some bigger like investments in like our kitchen and like stuff like that. So it was like, we just like, we're at this point where it's like, you could just feel like our business, like really start to accelerate in 2019 in a big way. Um, and you have your own kitchen, so we were right? Going, we manufacture ourselves. Yeah. So, which, which, um, but we were, which is a really big deal and, and, and does set you apart totally. from a lot of other people in, mm-hmm. in that niche, including, you know, including my company. And it's because totally. you, it does require so much upfront investment and mm-hmm. and maintenance yeah. and, and just like general man hours and it's uh it's easier to scale but but there's always that overhead yeah exactly yeah so there's constantly that overhead that you're sitting on it gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of like how much you're making and when you're making it and all that stuff but yeah there's definitely pros and cons yes for yes, sure. I, yes that's, that's a much better <laughs> word a lot much more flexibility Yes. And some some ability to scale. Of course, if you were to like yeah. add five more zeros, you would have to move to a different facility. Yeah. But that, that's a problem yes. worth, you know, <laughs> that, that's right. a problem that you want right. to have. Obviously. Yeah. 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 Okay. So moving into last like couple questions here, uh, as before moving to the, the mid COVID set, moving into 2020, what if the, if COVID doesn't happen, so you're in January, you're in February, you're looking forward to 2020 and you're thinking, okay, maybe Whole Foods National happens or we add a, maybe add a region or two, maybe add Northern California, right. maybe get up into the Pacific Northwest. 
maybe add a couple more distributors, get on some of those bigger campuses. And with all of that, it's you, your husband, other staff. Yeah, but all focused on our um, our like operate Production like side. our uh, manufacturing yep. and distribution. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and how how many, and were the, or were those part time? There's yeah, there's uh, what one full time, my brother in law, and then um, three part time people, and then we had some part time help with like sales and marketing as well. Okay, got it. Yep. So with with that team, basically poised for growth, ready to go, ready to try to crack the the uh, elusive seven figures, right? Yeah, yeah. It was going to be a big year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that sets the table perfectly. And with that, as always, before we go to mid-COVID, we're going to take a quick break. And by quick break, I mean we're just going to get right into it with our unsponsor, our guest's unsponsor. The unsponsor is an amazing company who makes an amazing product run by amazing people, and they don't know they're featured on the show. So, Kate, tell us who today's show is not brought to us by. <laughs> yeah, so it's by a brand I love called Rojo. Um, Rojo is a it's another Santa Barbara-based brand, women-owned. And they make beautiful handbags and shoes and some other items. And what I love about them is all of their products they make, um, not only super high quality, but they're made by artisans in Kenya. So basically what the founder realized and learned um, during her travels one year was that there's like in Kenya, there's um, high unemployment rate, a lot of people living below the poverty level. So her goal with this company is to help give these artisans, a lot of them women artisans, um, jobs. And so that's what she's doing. And, um, so kind of awesome mission behind the company, but also amazing high quality, beautiful products as well. So do doing well by doing good, the, the, the best, the best of both worlds. Yeah. So you don't have to necessarily feel bad about that spending. Exactly. I hope my wife's not listening. So good about this. Okay. Spending. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you want to find Rojo, you can find them on Instagram, Rojo Goods, or their website, rojogoods.com. Yeah. And with that, let's go ahead and move on to the bulk of the show, the meat and potatoes, or in our case, the vegan meat and <laughs> potato starch alternatives. Uh, the mid-COVID set. So it's March 1st, the first, which is kind of our like BCAD delineation on the show, because that is when the first COVID-related death uh, on American soil occurred. So when, looking back, when was the first kind of tangible, memorable moment where you realized that the severity of COVID's looming impact on, on your business? Yeah, um... We were on our baby moon in Hawaii, and uh, we heard that San Francisco was shutting down, basically. And that was, I think, when it really hit home for me, because even, even when we left for our baby moon, um, like we knew that like, I, I know there was a lot of um, news coming out of like what was going on in Seattle and obviously all the other countries, but you know, I don't think we really realized how big of an impact it could be. And then we were on our, our baby moon. I remember one of my friends being like, um, 
texting being like, wow, like San Francisco is on like shelter in place. And, and I was just really realizing people aren't going to work anymore. Like people are, and all, you know, all these places that were selling like fitness studios and cafes, these are all starting to close. Um, and it was, we kind of, it, it, I, I just remember the moment hearing it and, be, and we're like, this isn't going away anytime soon. And we, I think we immediately knew like, this isn't going to be a month. Like this is going to really, be, I, I think at the time we're like, this is, I, I think that we lived in denial for a little bit. I, yeah. I think it's, I, I think we, I, I think before we left for our baby moon, we were living in denial. And then when we were like there and we heard that and we're like, this is like whole cities are shutting down. But I think what, what we thought was it's going to be like three months. <laughs> like, I think we're like, things will open up back like early right. summer. Kind of. Like if you were starting a yeah. podcast, you would have a segment with a post COVID because yeah. that was, it's, you know, exactly. a very logical like, thing at the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, none of us had ever been through this before. So <laughs> you're basically getting back from your baby moon and you're looking at yep. your growth model move for though your right. planned growth model for 2020, which a lot of it included right. large gatherings of people and their need to eat while they were together, yes. i.e. Barry's boot camp, i.e. you know, <laughs> Silicon Valley campuses, uh, yep. cafes, juice bars, basically everything other than Whole Foods. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, our strategy always had been like, we wanted to sell our products in places where our core consumer spends her day. And that's, you know, sometimes she's grocery shopping, but she also works out. She also goes to work. She, all, you know, so there's all these, we, we wanted to, so our strategy was always to be beyond the grocery store. And, um, most of our, a lot of our business, was outside the grocery store aside from whole foods and some local, um, like local or regional grocers, um, natural food only. Um, so when that hit, we were kind of like, okay, so all of the corporate, corporate offices were not only a big part of our revenue base, but the majority of our growth plan in 2020, because we knew with whole foods, because we had just launched in whole foods, we knew that most of the year was going to be about nurturing, Southern California yes. or Southern Pacific. We knew that there was going to be no national rollout in 2020. Like our goal was to do well in um, SOPAC. And so then we could maybe get another region, but really we're like the growth is all going to come from these other channels. So um, all those channels that ended up shutting down. Right. And, <laughs> and yeah. And, and just for, you know, for those of us who I guess are listening and aren't <laughs> you and I who are <laughs> have like very similar Expert shared experiences. Yeah. But why I think a lot of people tend to think of Whole Foods as the pinnacle of the natural foods world. And yeah. I think that it carries a lot of cachet, but it's really difficult to make, especially as a small company, to make an immediate profit there. Has that been your experience right. there? Totally. Because and, and Whole Foods is, I mean, like, I remember we had to take a pause when we get in, got in because I remember starting the business. I was like, we just need to get into Whole Foods. Like that. And it, 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 it's such an amazing, like, honor, I think, to, like, be in Whole Foods. But what you're realizing is you're, you know, to get people to go to the shelf, pick up your product, know your, even though we've been, like, working on building our brand for a couple of years, we're like, oh, people, like, you know, they kind of know us we're not dumping millions and millions right. of dollars into marketing. So, you know, it's to get people to walk into the store, walk down the aisle, get your product, 
Um, it takes a lot of marketing effort. And as a small brand that doesn't have, you know, millions of dollars to put behind it, like the way we do that is like through product demos, but having it, you know, to go do product demos in all the stores is like either our time doing it all or paying people to go do it for you who aren't going to do as good of a job, but like, sometimes you just have to accept that. But oftentimes can be like quite expensive. To, it does get really expensive to like people in stores all the time. So it's like, yeah, you're either, you kind of have to accept that when you launch in whole foods to, to really get your product to turn, like you, you're not going to make it, it. I mean, I'm sure there's exceptions, but I think for most brands, you're not going to make a lot of money. Once you take into account the money you're spending on marketing, oh, absolutely. it's like, you're not making And also that's like to just have, if it's not the founder's time, you need to have some, you need to hire, and that's actually what our plan was before COVID hit was we were going to hire somebody to like really primarily help manage all of our whole foods. Stores. Yeah. And, that, and, um, and just like to go over a couple of the like real quick bullet points, why growing and expanding in whole foods specifically can be so difficult. So you're managing 50 or 60 stores with that are yep. covering like, I don't know, 5,000, 10,000 square miles, like a, a yeah. lot of mileage, right? So, yeah. and you're in Santa Barbara, so you're basically in the, in the, in the Northwest corner of that territory, meaning yep. stores in Arizona, unless you're drive going on a serious road trip. And by the way, you're like pr pregnant for presumably oh, nine yeah. months of this, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Or, or I guess pre COVID, maybe four, five right. months, whatever. The, the point is it's really, really difficult to expand into those, um, into those stores because when you look at it from just like a, a single a single demo at a single store okay if you sell a hundred units in three hours that yeah. is crushing it right yeah it, i would say and this is from my experience and, and and tell me if yours is if i'm way off the mark here but you have some days where you go in and like it's just dead and yeah. you might there's no traffic and you, and you yeah. might sell 12 items Right. But if you're paying someone yeah. else to be there, they're probably getting paid hourly. So let's say they're if they're right. at fifteen dollars an hour, it's a three hour demo. You have an hour on either side. So you just paid someone seventy five dollars to sell twelve units uh, on right. which you're making maybe 50 cents a bar. And that's probably yeah. that's generous for a lot of people in the bar industry. So right. twelve units, 50 cents, that's six dollars. So you just paid seventy five dollars yeah. to make six dollars. Yeah. So you essentially just lost $69 on one right. store. And you're supposed to be doing that three times a store per quarter at all 60 stores. So you're supposed to do that 180 times. Yeah. That just does not make any financial sense for a small business. And then on like compounding that is the fact that you as a small business are going to be given like the last round draft pick on shelf space. Like the, the joke yeah. for us was always, oh, yeah, you, if you want to find us at Whole Foods, you just need to go to the janitor, get the key to the <laughs> hidden closet, walk through like the Chronicles of Narnia, and then we'll be on that top shelf. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you have like the the entrenched players of Kind Bar and Cliff Bar who are basically right. just like, yeah, we yeah. need 45 linear feet of our, you know, 17 skews of the same bar, basically repackaged. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So anyway, it's really, really difficult and it's a lot and to manage. I can see yeah. why you would realistically only want to bite off one region for for all yeah. of 2020. And right. this was a long way of getting to it, but 
the reason or, or, or juxtaposed to all of the headaches that go along with a Whole Foods comes the one of like the if you're not in the industry, something that you might not think of right away, which is selling to Silicon Valley places where you basically only need that value proposition to make sense to one person. And that's the office manager. And if they, yeah. if they think that the price, the price makes sense and they, you send them like 10 units and they sample them out to some of their friends around the office. And they're like, yeah, this is good. I would eat these every day. Boom. Right. Pallet. Six six thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, whatever. The volume's yeah. insane. Yeah, it's like the volume they can do in the and so yeah, it's like you get like and that's when we were looking at the projections. We're like, if we can get like you know four more offices, we're gonna hit our growth right. plans, which is insane <laughs> to think about. So if you if you if yeah. basically if you convince yeah. four people and forty of right. their friends that your product is delicious and healthy and will help maxify maximize their efficiency at work their workflows right then yeah they'll do it and all of a sudden yeah. you just hit a million dollars for the year because of those like few successful phone calls and not to mention not only are you hitting these big revenue targets but you're driving trial and awareness of your brand for like I mean you're basically getting paid to drive trial and awareness because everyone's eating your snacks for free. So there's like no like decision making. Yep. Like they're gonna try it. And everyone's seeing it every day. So it's like it's really like an amazing, amazing channel. And for a higher um, end premium organic product yeah. that that's yeah. focused on compostable packaging and kind of you know, yeah. it's probably gonna align with a lot of those Bay Area, Southern California values. Yeah. And therefore, yep. it's, you're basically giving your getting paid to give your product to your exact demographic. Yeah, totally. It's a beautiful, beautiful totally. thing. And now a, that's all gone. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, yeah. So how? So you had planned on a lot of growth coming from that channel. What has that been like? Just how rude of an awakening, I guess, has that been over the last few months? Yeah, I mean, I think this is where maybe, and this is where maybe we were in denial is we, what we thought was going to happen was that offices were going to be like shut entirely for like three months. And then we're like, well, maybe it'll be like six months. You know, we thought they were going to be shut entirely and then they were going to open back. Right. Up. And so I think the, I think what we're now realizing it. And so we thought it was going to like a pause in the revenue. We're like, okay, our revenue is going to like pause. And that, I mean, I mean, it was, it was over 50% of our revenue was coming from those channels. So we thought like, we're going to like pause this revenue for like three to six months. Like, and like then the, like the flip would be, or the switch would be flipped yeah. off. Yeah. And then in six months, then, yeah, back, back on. on. Yeah, exactly. And I think when we started realizing, you know, it started to become really apparent to us, like when we started to hear like, you know, Facebook and Google and all these companies that are telling people like, they can either work at home indefinitely or, you know, it's like you're, you're basically hearing people being like offices aren't opening back up or if they are opening back up, there's not going to be common areas. Be, like there's not going to be coffee or snacks or anything like that because they don't want to encourage like gathering. And I mean, who knows what it's going to evolve into and like if it'll, I mean like, but and, you know, the good thing is if people do bring back snacks, ours are individually packaged. So like it's a type of snack they bring back. But I'm like, I, I honestly don't foresee really anything happening this year and maybe not next yeah. year. Like it's such a, uh, like, it's just so unknown at this point. Such like, a huge shift in the now. paradigm. 
I mean, exactly. It, it, so like yeah, some, some of the numbers just real quick are what I've heard is yeah. I think Google is, I, I believe they said July of next year. And I've heard wow, that yeah. Facebook is saying that they're only going to want, I think, roughly 10% of their workforce actually consistently yeah. on campus. Yeah, which is crazy. And it's like that, I mean, so for us, like what that did is like our, and it, so not only was that 50% of revenue, but that was where almost all of our growth was, we were planning it for, to come from. So now that's like gone to zero like now we're like our projections for that we're like anything we get from that is upside at this point yeah. like at this point we're like we're planning to not have it and anything we have from it is like a and, and you said that was that was <laughs> over half of your revenue yeah yeah especially we just like we just gotten into lyft like in march like march was like our, our oh. launch in lyft <laughs> like so it was like yeah not not so just, not much of a liftoff no <laughs> <laughs> so lift is everyone's working from home yeah as are just about everybody else so i mean first of all there was like a a full halt to that revenue stream Right. And maybe right. at some point it starts to trickle back in. So yeah. what else, what, what other revenue streams are you saying? And one thing that we haven't talked at all about actually is direct to consumer. That wasn't something that you mentioned okay. in your growth strategy for 2020. Was that an intentional? So, so our, you know, before COVID we'd always, we always cared so much so deeply about our DTC business. Um, it was, it was about 10% of our business and it was we obviously had a website up we you know but it was not a it was not the number one thing in our mind when we were thinking about growth because we were so we had we were so successful in growing in these alternative channels we just landed whole foods like we are like we are we're maxed out on like priorities right now so we cared about dtc but we just had like a lot of other things to prioritize and um so that's why it was kind of like a, you know, we hope to hold it at around 10% type of thing for 2020. And what, so the other, so that was a revenue stream, but it wasn't like, you know, we weren't expecting tons of growth to come from it. Um, and then the other, we had our, like the, the fitness studios and the coffee shops and fitness studios, of course, closed. Now they're starting to open back up, but like, and like, I think, I don't know how it is all over California, but like in Santa Barbara, they can only be do outside classes. So it's like, you know, it's like they're, they're kind of like teetering on trickling back in, but, um, coffee shops always stayed open, but of course, like not as much, a lot of them, like you couldn't even go inside. So people were like, you know, just coming, walking up to the door and getting their coffee to go. And so the, really the only, like the, like our grocery stores, um, Whole Foods and the other, like, stores like natural food stores were like the main ones that were actually actively open and then we also have some um like amazing customers that are like gift basket companies and gifting companies and those ones were also open which um have continued to be like amazing partners through this but um yeah i mean the the bulk of it was just like fro like you know frozen either for a couple months or indefinitely and so where our mind went like most I, I mean, I think almost everybody I've talked to in our industry, like the food industry was, all right, like, how do we sell more online? Because that, like, how are you going to make up for all this like revenue that isn't like coming in anymore? And 
it's not like you can go aggressively start knocking on like more grocery doors because grocers are trying to figure out like what the heck is going on in like this new world. They're not looking for new products and it doesn't change like that the whole concept we've talked about with like needing a lot of like, you know, manpower to successfully build your brand and grocery, like that doesn't go away, but we no longer are able to do demos. So like all this, all, a lot of this like strategy, we had to grow our business. Like we just can't do because they're not letting demos like happen. And so, you know, so we basically were like, where can we spend our, where, how, how do we make this work online? Because like, we need to make this work online <laughs> because what, you know, what else are we going to do? So, um, so we shifted our efforts to online in March. Like, I, like, again, we were like literally on our baby moon when we started to try to brainstorm, like, how do we increase sales online? Like, this is what we have to do. And for us, it was like twofold, like, okay, like let's try to grow our existing business, but we're also like, how do we like, how can we like, get people to like get a bigger cart? Like, how can we like attract a broader audience? And we started to think about because we self-manufacture, we're sitting on all these raw ingredients. We're like, we're sitting on thousands of pounds of cashews and dates and all these ingredients that we, um, you know, we aren't going to be using for the corporate offices. So like, what's another, where else can we like, what else can we do with them? And so we started selling like our ingredients bulk online and, um, it worked like it, we were surprised. Like people like want to buy a date, like yummy organic dates from us, like too. So that's kind of been like our, and that that's like, we've, we've really started to focus a lot more on what we're calling like our, like a pantry offering. Um, we're starting to sell like, you know, high quality organic food in bulk, um, and compostable packaging. And it's really been like a little, I mean, it's been quite of a pivot for us. Um, now like a lot of our, I mean, I think almost 50% of our revenue is online right now, Wow, which is a total shift. That's I mean, incredible. we're, yeah, we're trying to figure out how to do it all. And I mean, luckily we have, you know, I, I think it's been, we've been able to do it because my, um, we have our own like warehouse and right. shipping and stuff like that. So like, but now we're doing like, so again, that, goes, that, that kind of goes back to what we were saying at the, at the beginning of the show about having your, ha yeah. having your own facility gives you more flexibility. Totally. So like, instead of shipping pallets, so we're shipping like 200 small pack, like little, right. package, you know, so it's, it's definitely been like an adjustment, but it's been, you know, it's been the way we've been able to make it work and cover all those fixed costs that we're sitting on. Cause we have to pay our rent. Like yeah. we have to pay our machine like all those things so. yeah i feel like the the upside silver lining glass half full however you want to look at it is moving forward the hope is that as of as as pre-covid revenue streams return that they are in addition that they are supplemental to the aspects of the business that you have grown to yeah. make up for that lost revenue while it was down at its absolute low and just i, I want to uh, I, w I want to reiterate one thing you said, which was you were maxed out on priorities and you said it a little while ago, but I just love that phrase because that's just, it just resonates. I feel like with every small business owner, no matter if, no, no matter w what industry you are in, you only have so much time and money, basically you, right. you know, just pure resources and you can only, you have to choose how to spend them. And you, and you have to, you can't spread yourself too thin or you're not going to do anything really well. And that's like, I think that's, I think that was one of the most, I don't know, just frustrating things with us for, with, through all this. Cause we spent like two and a half years 
getting really, really good at selling in alternative channels. Like we had finally gotten the distributors lined up and we had finally got, you know, it's like, that's what we were really good at. And, um, you know, we were just launching in Whole Foods and we were really excited about that, but that was like a new, you know, that was okay. We're going to be, this is going to be the newer like thing that we're focused on this year. And, um, I think that's, I think that was what was hard for us. I mean, a lot of things were hard, obviously with all this, but to see like the, all the channels that we felt like we were a experts at, but be that set us apart in a lot of ways. Um, they're just gone. And a lot of, in a lot of ways, like, I feel like we're, I feel like we're like starting a business all over again. Yes. Oh, I'm right there with you. (laughs) It's like, okay. Yeah. Now, how do we, what do we, you know, it's, and I I don't think that it's, it's, it's coincidence. I think that that, that your and my companies are alone in their similarities. I think that there are, I think that over the last maybe like decade or so, there's really been this niche carved out of these better for you brands that are finding, that are finding their uh, revenue, their core revenue streams in quote unquote alternative ways, right? Namely, not grocery, which at this point is the only thing that's the only mainstream item that's really supporting a lot of brands right now is grocery and then like, or kind of Amazon e-com. Those are like the two, the two big ones. Right. Uh, So it's, it's just like a, I don't know, a big puzzle trying to reconstruct, to put that, to put Humpty Dumpty revenue back together again. Right, you're missing well, your, even, the original pieces. Totally. And even like these, even these like grocery, for example, like one of the big trends that happened during, like one of the big trends we started to see um, in COVID was people were no longer going towards brands that they, like they were no longer trying to discover new brands. They were like going back to like familiar brands. Yes. Because they weren't like, everyone's buying on Instacart. They're not, you know, they're not going into the grocery store exploring. They're like, okay, what are my safety bets? And I'm buying online. I'm not trying to discover. And so it's like, okay, so now we're not it. Now we're a new brand that's like not totally people aren't discovering anymore. And then also, um, people like our category, like grab and go, like bars and stuff like that. Like we, like I remember at first when, we heard about like when COVID started, everyone's like, oh, like consumer packaged goods are up. Like packaged food is up, up, up. It's like such a good category, except categories like energy bars because people aren't like grabbing things on the go anymore. Because there's so nowhere to like, go. Right, exactly. So it's like, I feel like it was like, okay, our channels are closed. The ones that are open, like trends are down. You know, it's like, so it's, it just, it kind of feels like everything's working against you know, a lot of things that I think we're working for us now, it's like, okay, it feels like all these things are working against us now. So like, how do we, yeah, like put the puzzle together to figure out a new way to make it work. I I heard from a reliable source that Costco's double, uh, that Costco's sales in energy bars were down double digits and that now they're down only single digits, but that it, that they're basically record-breaking sales in things like, Cheez-Its and Cheetos yeah. and Goldfish. And it's just like the right. everyone is moving to, because there are so many unknowns in the world, people I think right. are grasping for some semblance of certainty and stability. Right. right. And that that boils, comfort yeah, and, comfort foods. Yeah. I mean, that, that term exists for a right. reason. Yeah. So as we now move to kind of the, to wrap things up and we move towards, uh, 
as we as we look to the future for for hope, yeah. where where do we find that hope for Sun and Swell Foods? Yeah, I mean, we're really excited about like the new line we want launched, like this, like the bulk, like the, like I was saying, these these bulk, um, bulk ingredients and compostable packaging. For us, it's exciting for a, a lot of reasons, which I could go on for for a long time that I won't. But um, I think we we've just come to terms with the fact that like we want what we've built to still be there and like we think it will but we need to find, like how are people's habits changing and what you know what's what's changing about the world that we can maybe like serve in a different way and for us like we are seeing this new like part of our business growing well and grow it's like every month we're month over month growth we're like we got to lean into this so that's like a little bit I think scary for us because it's like I said like a totally new thing but for us, um, that's generating a lot of excitement and it keeps us, you know, you know, okay, maybe this, this big account isn't reopening, but we had really good online sales this month and these new items people are liking. So that's where, that's what we're really excited about right now. But, and is there, if, if everything goes right, is there still a chance of hitting those, those, the, the, the big seven figure mark for 2020? We have, we need our online revenue sale to keep growing like crazy and we can get there. We still have a long way to right. go, but you know, if we, if we're, our, our, our month over month numbers are big right now because we're, we're growing from a small base. So like if we can keep up the high percentage growth every month, we might get right. there, but um, yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of complexities that come along with that. But that, that's, you know, that's where our, our dreams are now. Yeah. <laughs> Focus. Yeah. That's, a, that's a, the the percentage growth is is easy in the beginning when you're going from <laughs> yeah. like, well, we sold 10 units last month and this month that's we right. did 30, 200 <laughs> percent growth. Yeah. That number is a whole lot harder when you're like, well, we sold three pallets last month or, yeah. you know, yeah. $10,000. <laughs> now we want to do $30,000. Yeah. yeah. Re really difficult. <laughs> But it sounds like you're growing. I know we touched on this a little bit earlier, but you're growing. You're essentially like building structures of your business, pillars of your business that will continue and will outlast COVID such that yeah. when those other faucets do get turned back on, they might not be you know, a, a switch that is flipped, but maybe a faucet yeah. that slowly gets turned back on that it will be supplemental right. to those pill those those pre-existing uh pillars that you're now being able that you have the time and resources to put into building yeah that's exactly what we're like we're welcoming the business back when it comes like we're excited about the business if it comes back uh, but we're like to spend our energy like pretending like that business is like gonna be coming anytime soon it's just like it's just we're setting ourselves up for disappointment if we get too excited about that. So that's just, um, you know, that's all, that's all upside. <laughs> yeah. But, well, uh, I'm certainly interested and very, very hopeful for the, the prospects of your success here in the, in the Thank next, <laughs> uh, six to 12 months. In in part because I feel like my cart is somewhat attached to the the horse of the industry that's pulling your cart. Yes. <laughs> for all of yes. that that muddled metaphor, 
Um, but it sounds like you're doing everything right. And one thing that I, we didn't really talk about, but I do just want to emphasize here is that you have compostable packaging in an industry that is notoriously wasteful. And I am, and, and, and the reason why people have been so slow, my company included, is be, to move to compostable packaging is because compostable packaging up until maybe whatever you're about to tell me hasn't had the same shelf life as conventional packaging. Yeah. Have you had any sort of experience with that or that you can speak to? Yeah. So, um, so compostable, we launched our, we launched our, our, um, some of our snacks in it last year and our biggest issue was not, um, it did have to do with shelf life. It didn't have to do with like the freshness of the product. We actually, our product doesn't stale very easily. So like we didn't have any issues with the quality of our product inside, but the packaging itself, like starts to not look as good over time. And so it specifically gets like wrinkly looking. Because it's built to biodegrade. Because it's built to biodegrade. And so, which is what's amazing about it. But if you think about like how, like that packaging sitting on the shelf at like Erewhon where everything else is so beautiful and like all of a sudden like you have your wrinkly looking and like, so we actually had a lot of challenges. We like, we lost our velocity slowed a lot when we first launched it. We like lost some like good shelf space and some good accounts. Like, I mean, it was a challenge and we've been able, the way we've had to deal with it is like, we basically are running both compostable and non-compostable supply chains right now. We have both and we are sending compostable through channels where we thought it was like, didn't matter as much what it looked like. So for, or, or Or not necessarily didn't matter, but faster turn or yeah, exactly. So, we had some corporate offices that like only wanted our compostable. We had like um, UC Santa Barbara uh, carried our compostable um, and was selling it online. So that's like the one great thing about the online channel is it is a channel where we feel like we can send it through, especially because we can, you know, we're manufa- we can manufacture regularly, but that's been the biggest challenge. And it's, you know, like I said, it's like, the almost the biggest barrier is like consumers aren't expecting it. Like they aren't expecting they don't walk past like a wrinkly looking package and think, Oh my gosh, like that's one of those compostable the packages. They yeah. Think, that's the one. They wait walk by and they're like, oh my gosh, that probably looks like it's been like sitting there for years, you know? So um that's still that's still a challenge, but you can control it with shorter distrib- you know, shorter timelines. But even like I think the original timeline we were expecting was nine months and we noticed it start to like not look that great after like two. And so it's like, it really, yeah, it's a, our, for us, we're like all in on it. And it's like one of our like number one, like value props. It's like one of the things we're really, we, but it has been the, if one of the most, if not the most challenging things we've like done, yeah. like, done as a business. And we're kind of like, Wow, we've really made things hard on ourselves. But right. Small <laughs> business ownership in a crowded space isn't hard enough. Let's add some challenges. Let's try to like do be one of the first people who does this. But no, but so it's, you know, it's been some ups and downs. But... Well, it's really admirable and I applaud your efforts and I, I hope Thank to you. some someday join you in having that yeah. some, someday soon, hopefully. Yes. Uh, and also someday soon, I am excited to have you back on the show and hear about how you're you're crushing it and how your your newfound revenue channels helped launch you into that that uh, yeah. se- seven figure stratosphere. Yeah. Well, hope hope we'll we'll see if 2020 ends up being the year. Oh, <laughs> uh, what a year! <laughs> All right, Kate. I just realized I forgot to ask you. Uh, 
idiot. Where can people find you? What's the best way to support can- you? Yeah. So if you live in Southern California, we are in Whole Foods. And otherwise, our website is just www.sunandswellfoods.com. Sun and swell. All right. Thanks, Kate. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you to Kate Flynn for coming on the show. If you want to learn more about Sun and Swell and or buy some healthy and delicious snacks like their five ingredient cookie bites, go to sunandswellfoods.com. If you are in the mood for tasty small businesses to support, you are in the right place because my unsponsor of today's show, aka a small business run by awesome people who produce an awesome product, was actually recommended to me by previous guest of the show, Caroline Cotto. Today's show is not brought to you by Tia Lupita, maker of four amazing hot sauce flavors inspired by the founder's mom and company namesake. They also make cactus tortillas and cactus tortilla chips. Check them out at tialupitafoods.com. That's T-I-A-L-U-P-I-T-A-foods.com. Speaking of websites, check out ours at smallbizgoneviral.com. There is a contact page there that is for using, not just taking up space. So if you have ideas or suggestions for the show, send them our way, especially if it's a company you think deserves to be an unsponsor of the show. Thank you, Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates for the music, Worldometer, NPR, Robinhood Snack, and Morning Brew daily news emails. And as of last week, this show's very first intern, Kaylin Kwan. You can see her handiwork on our Instagram page at smallbizgoneviral. Someday soon this will all be over. Until then, wear a mask, socially distance. It's so easy. From an office in North Pacific Beach with a window, recorded and edited before and after business hours, I'm Grant LeBeau, and this is Small Biz Gone Viral. And as always, we are back for the bonus segment, the lightning round. Four quick questions. Kate, let's get right into it. What is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? I love working with my family. My husband's my co-founder. My brother-in-law runs our kitchen. My mom's a recipe developer. Um, oh, you didn't so tell I me about it. the mom part. Ah, oh, bonus. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> and flip side of that coin, what is your least favorite part about being an entrepreneur? <laughs> Having to fundraise. Ugh. I do not like fundraising, yep, that... but it's necessary. <laughs> uh, what are some common misconceptions about your business? I think how successful we are as entrepreneurs, we've had a lot of like amazing wins, um, which is great. We've been successful on that front, but like after four years in, we're not paying ourselves. Actually, my husband took his first paycheck um, about a month ago, but I'm still not paying myself. Congratulations. So, thanks. I mean, seriously, that, that that's one, a big deal. Making one income You know, for, yeah. uh, hiring an employee, huge deal. First yeah. chain store, yeah. huge deal. First paycheck, huge deal. Okay. And yeah. last question, and this is one of my favorite questions. What is your least favorite question about your business to receive at a party? So it's not really a question, but a lot of times we'll have people say to us um, something like, you know, you should really be in Sprouts or you should be in Vons. And we're like, you know, it's a lot <laughs> harder than you think to just be in these stores. Um, so yeah, we get that a lot all the time. <laughs> My sister is really good at, at nodding and smiling and going, that's a great idea. Do you know someone there? 
<laughs> exactly. Like, why don't you make an intro and get us then? We'll take it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, if you're listening to this and you are a uh, VP or higher at Sprouts, uh, preferably <laughs> in charge of, of national buying, give Kate and I a call. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pick up. <laughs> Kate, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you.